Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us here for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Uh, Jason, welcome back. Thank you for joining us here on a Monday. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here on a Monday in the afternoon, a little bit different than usual, but um, give some, some perspective on how the market's reacting today. Absolutely. It has been an interesting day. Just taking a quick inventory of how markets have been trading recently, you think back to last week on Thursday in particular, the S&P 500 uh, nearly fell into bear market territory. It was down 19% from its all-time high. A fast forward to Friday, equity markets did enjoy some upside across the board. And as we're speaking today here on Monday in the afternoon, we've been witnessing equity markets uh, jump around a bit from negative to positive territory. So uh, just given that market behavior, Jason, how would you describe the market setup right now? Well, if we take the overarching kind of setup for the markets, it, it, it's the same today as it was a week ago in the past couple of weeks and really for, for a little while, which is that as long as inflation is well above you know the target, it's still around 8%. As long as the labor market is incredibly tight and hot, the Fed's going to aim to tighten financial conditions and slow growth below long-term trend with the goal of sort of reducing kind of both, like in terms of cooling inflation, bringing the labor market a little bit more back into balance. If that's the case, it's not a payroll environment for risk assets. It also even means that, you know, growth that's kind of resilient, that sort of stays above trend, you know, rising equity markets in some way can be self-defeating because ultimately that sort of loosens financial conditions and it's going to bias the Fed towards perhaps tightening, you know, even more than what's already expected. So in effect, you know, equities have to suffer as long as inflation is, is above target. Uh, and it's unlikely this dynamic is going to change or this market setup is going to change until either the inflation data improves or the Fed, for some reason, signals a change in its policy. Now, the balance we've seen late last week from the lows on sort of Thursday afternoon and through today now from that level, almost up 5%. Some of that could just reflect the fact that sentiment had become very bearish. There was also signs of investor kind of capitulation uh, taking place. And by that, I mean a lot of sentiment indicators are suggesting, you know, people had a very bearish outlook. But in funds were still actually getting, you know, inflows. In the past few weeks, we started to see funds having outflows, like equity funds, fixed income funds, which suggests that but after allocators who you know are kind of slower to move money, we're now actually actively starting to kind of sell and sort of de-risk as opposed to hedge funds and other kind of fast money type of investors who already did that. When you get sort of that sign of very bare sentiment and capitulation, that's often sort of a counter indicator that well now the markets kind of perhaps have reached the bottom and people might step in and buy. And that could be what's driving the action from you know, on Friday and even into today. But, you know, like this could be a very short temporary move. The overarching theme, I think, still hasn't changed in terms of the market setup. Jason, the markets seem to be very focused on macro data, inflation data in particular. You think back to last week, the marquee event was the release of the consumer price print for the month of April that came out on Wednesday morning. And this morning, we did receive a lot of data from China, everything from retail sales to industrial production. Uh, Jason, how would you describe the macro data recently and what it all means for the investment outlook. Well, let's consider both U.S. and global data. I think the the overall data has been mixed at best uh, and maybe a little bit disappointing. Uh, Where we're seeing sort of more signs or things are worrying is actually more on the growth front than the inflation front. So if we go back to last week with the the CPI and the PPI that came out for April, the details will suggest that CPI was a little bit worse than expected. You know, a headline number came down, but some of the underlying details weren't as positive. Whereas the PPI data, the producer price index, 
you know, also very elevated, but some of the details were maybe a little bit better than expected. Now, if you take all those different details, then you can construct a forecast for PCE inflation, which is what the Fed actually focuses on. That comes out later this month for April. It would suggest that this is going to come down again from April versus March, which would be two months in a row. The PCE data is coming down. So that kind of reinforces the point that we've had peak inflation. Uh, and we know that the base effects of the year-over-year effect is much more favorable as we move through April, May, and June. So it's likely we'll continue to see inflation numbers declining for the next couple of months. So that's that's positive. Now, some of the details of, of both the CPI and PPI suggest that while it will come down, the medium term or the, the outlook, say, for the, you know, the rest of this year is still a little more in question. Uh, we could sort of decline a little bit and then flatline in the summer. It really won't be until we get into probably like late summer, September time frame, that we have a good sense of, is inflation kind of clearly coming down? And is it going to be trending downwards towards what the Fed is is hoping to, to achieve in the next couple of years? So the data last week is, you know, was fine on that front. So, you know, not clearly positive, but also not clearly negative. I think it's the growth data that's kind of raising some more question marks. You know, the China data this morning was was a big miss on the downside. You're seeing some slowing there. Uh, the UK economy is really at risk of you know, of going into recession just because their gas prices have gone up so much. And so really it's eating into consumers. That possibility of commodity prices, energy prices going up, also is why Europe is at a real risk of kind of slowing down. And if that happens, the U.S. is certainly not going to be immune from those things. So I'd say the the growth data currently in the U.S. from consumption spending to production is still relatively solid in terms of what's happening right now. But if you look at forward, all these factors suggest that you know, growth is going to slow later this year, whether it's because of the China lockdowns, the downsize risks in Europe, the fact that, you know, the Fed has been raising rates and trying to tighten financial conditions, that operates with a lag. So it's likely that we're going to see slower growth as we move into the second half of this year and into 2023. And that's kind of the dynamic that's really kind of changing right now in the marketplace. So, Jason, running with the Fed for a few moments, of course, their policy direction course has been a major point of interest amongst investors here in 2022. Last week, as well as this week, are busy weeks for Fed officials. So what has the messaging from the Fed consisted of and how does the macro data potentially impact what the Fed is likely to do from here? Well, if you start on the messaging, we had a number of Fed governors out in the past week or so, uh, as well as Chair Powell on Thursday giving an interview that have been pretty consistent in their messaging. So I think they're all talking from the same, uh, you, know, you know, talking point sheet, which is that the Fed is very much focused on bringing inflation down. Uh, it's going to do that by hiking rates, very likely 50 basis points in June and July. You know, a 75 basis points hike is unlikely at this point in time, but it, you can't say it's completely ruled out. Uh, even though you know, Powell sort of implied as such at the FOMC meeting about two weeks ago. So that's kind of on track. Uh, I think as we move into the, you know, the, the September timeframe, when the next FOMC meeting comes into play, there's a little more questions about that. So I think you know, if you have 50-50, it's likely to be 25 in September, but it also depends on where you know, the, the economic data is. If inflation is stubbornly high, Perhaps the Fed goes 50 basis points and even maybe 75 if they need to be more aggressive. But if you're starting to see inflation come down, but also growth concerns really start to accelerate, it's possible they may even take a pause. And now that's you know probably the least likely of the scenarios, but I think all that is, is very much on the table. Given what I just discussed in terms of the inflation data, it's going to take you know at least a few months to get a clearer sense. Is it really sort of trending lower? Given these sort of the potential for growth to slow, given all the risks out there, 
you know, it could slow more than what the Fed wants. I mean, the Fed is hoping inflation or growth falls below 2%. So it creates a little more less demand pressure on the economy to help bring inflation down, help cool sort of the imbalance in the labor market. But these are sort of blunt instruments of what they're trying to fine tune for the economy. So by then, the Fed will have a more sense of where things are trending. Um, it will become, I think, much more data dependent at this point in time, at that point in time, as they are now. Where right now, it's very much focused on fight inflation, fight inflation, fight inflation. They can hike, you know, quite a bit until they get to a point where now they start to have to kind of balance the outlook and the assessment for both inflation and for growth. I think that's kind of the more the September timeframe that it is in the next couple of months. Revisiting the markets for a few moments, as you pointed out towards the top of our conversation, Jason, the markets do remain volatile. So what can we infer from the price action about the outlook for markets going forward? Well, we used to continue to talk about high inflation, you know, as, as being a real concern, the Fed has to blame inflation down. But if you look at sort of market pricing in the past few weeks, and, and by that I mean how equities are performing, what's going on with rates markets and other asset classes, it, there's been a bit of a shift from really being obsessed and focused primarily on inflation and the Fed having to kind of fight inflation to now getting more concerned about growth. And a really simple way to look at that is to understand like the correlations between stocks and bonds. So we saw both, and we've seen this year, both stocks and bonds have sold off quite significantly. But the move on on the fixing of like for, for Treasury yields, it has it's been sort of relatively range bound for about a month now between for the ten year between like say two point seven five percent and three point one five percent it drops up and down, so the bulk of the move has happened and now it's kind of you know, you know let's say it's a, it's kind of trading in a bit of a range it's lucky to trade that way for a while. Equities have continued to sell off up until in the past couple of days. So the first three and a half months of the year we had this essentially positive correlation between stock and bond returns, you know. Both are rising together, but for the most part, both sold off together. And this is because they were concerned about inflation. The market was pricing in a much more aggressive Fed, and the Fed was clearly more aggressive. That would be negative for growth. So in an environment where inflation is the prominent investor concern, historically, a very simple rule of thumb is that that leads to positive correlation between stock and bond returns, which means they often sell off together. When investors are less concerned about inflation and they start to become more worried about growth, then you start to see a negative correlation in those returns. And that was the dynamic for 20 years prior to the pandemic. And that situation, what you see is on days when equities are rallying, on better news, you might also see rates rise, which means bonds are selling off, the negative relationship. Likewise, when there's concerns about growth, you actually see treasury yields decline, but also equities decline. Again, bonds are rallying, bond prices are rallying, but equity prices are declining. So it almost implies that the markets are becoming much more comfortable with the Fed ultimately being able to bring inflation down, to gain, kind of regaining some sort of credibility. And now, but in order to do that, the Fed might actually have to inflict, you know, some quote unquote, some pain, as Jay Powell said last week, some pain meaning for slower growth, but also in the labor market. And that's where now the markets become a little more focused on growth. You can see it as well with, you know, other risk assets, kind of credit spreads widening out. There's days where you know commodity prices are declining because of concerns about global growth. So that's the dynamic that's kind of subtly shifting. The good news to some extent for investors is that it, you know the pain they've taken on the fixed income portfolio this year is likely over. And diversification of benefits of bonds, which certainly hasn't been played out at all for the first four and a half months this year, but could become actually sort of more into play as we move forward. Jason, tying this all together, accounting for the market price action, the macro data, the Fed policy course, how do you summarize the investment outlook from here? Well, if you think kind of big picture, it's clearly the case that the global economy is challenged with a number of different downside risks from China, from the Ukraine war, from from Fed tightening. 
Uh, and while the consequences of sort of tightening conditions for inflation growth, you know, they won't become clear until later this year. So the Fed is sort of moving forward. But until like the dust sort of settles on this first round of, of 50 basis point hikes, we don't have a clear sense of, of you know, how this will play out, which means until then, financial market volatility is likely to remain high. Investors you know, might get a bit of a reprieve in terms of tactical balance, but in the same time, it's likely to remain very cautious at a minimum, maybe outright bearish. But it does seem like the risk of, of the, a recession for beginning in 2022, like in the next six, seven, eight months, is perhaps being overstated by the markets. You know, it certainly is a risk um, that something could happen if, you know, if, if gas supplies are cut off, uh, you know, to Europe by Russia. Europe is likely to go into recession, given the slowdown we've seen in China and the potential for, you know, rolling lockdowns, you know, really for the rest of this year. The U.S. wouldn't be immune. There's a good chance that the U.S. could tip into recession in those scenarios. But in terms of a baseline trajectory for the U.S. economy and given what the Fed is doing, a recession this year seems quite unlikely, just given the economic momentum. You know, as we move, you know, forward, that situation, you know, could change. Um, but I think that there's a lot of pessimism there, and perhaps too much discounting of the prospect for you know, a better, uh, you know, kind of growth environment or softest landing. Um, so, if given the position, given the sentiment, and given sort of the overall expectations for growth and inflation, if we would actually get some good news on both fronts, on, certainly on growth and inflation. There is a setup for more than just a bit of a tactical balance in, in risk assets. It could be more sustained, you know, throughout the summer or this might materialize kind of later this year. But that, that's kind of the, you know, the dynamic. That, and when we look at the macro environment, how it could play out um, given where things are. Uh, so it's a more balanced view of the markets overall. There's probably more scope for things moving higher if we get good news, given how negative sentiment is right now. Well, Jason, appreciate some clarity around how the chief investment office is interpreting this picture and the guidance offered as to how our clients can best navigate their portfolios through these uncertain times. A lot here to keep track of and follow up on, and we'll be sure to do so here on top of the morning, though. Wish you a great balance of the week, Jason, and we will catch up again soon. Right, thank you, Dan. Have a great week. Thank you, Jason. And again, we've been joined today by by Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO including the blog we've been making reference to during our conversation today. That title is Talking Points. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's blog directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 